When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're going to get on the carpet, if you're going to spend all that time working with a wonderful stylist and your wonderful hair and makeup people, Mm. you get out there and you give it. it. I've said this many times. There's nothing to get in life. There's only what you give. You're going to make it joyful for everybody and yourself or you're going to be a misery dog. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, Editor-in-Chief of InStyle Magazine. Each week, I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. There are few women more legendary than the one and only Judith Light. Light of our lives, light of the stage, light of the screen for over five decades, as well as being one of the first and most fearless advocates for the LGBTQIA community. Here we are, Judith Light coming at me via iPhone because she's that modern. Uh, from- <laughs> oh, God, please. I'm not. Don't tell people that I'm technically challenged. Anyway, good from- morning, sweetheart. Good morning, my mate. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're technically challenged because you're so adept at everything else. And you have just flown in. You're in New York City. I'm also in New York City. I guess we're in mutual living rooms or something. Welcome to Ladies First, number one. Where in, Judith Light, we celebrate women such as yourself who are first in what they do. That's you. Oh, thank you. We haven't actually seen each other in the in the flesh. Well, number one, there was this crazy thing that happened. What happened? This crazy sort of <laughs> global thing, you know, where like no one could like leave the house or right. nuts. I and, know. Uh, so we haven't laid eyes on each other for a while. But, you know, I was trying to remember where we met. You know, our publicist said to me, you have to have lunch with this woman. And it was we just a went. Lunch, just set up. Yeah. We we, right. right. We went yeah. to lunch at Midtown one, in, in the Columbus Circle somewhere in the mall. In the <laughs> in the that gorgeous restaurant that begins with an A and I can't remember an right Italian now. Italian place in the Time Warner Center. It, that's yeah. right, with that gorgeous view. And we sat there for I don't even remember how long. It was just like, oh, yeah. okay, you you're my you're my buddy. You're we my were friend. Set up. We were. And it has been nonstop passion ever since. And that was six, seven longer years ago. And you know why, you know, I, why I was so excited to meet you and I think why what is so many people admire about you is that you're just so in it, in everything you do. And one, of, I was trying to sort of distill you like a flame perfume. I think you're the, one of the most empathic people I've met, but you also have a real sense of occasion. Like you commit to things with full kind of... <clears throat> You, fulsomeness, I guess. And, you know, and I, I, we see this most often in your performances. And I don't really like the sort of sort of cheesy term present. I think that's a bit woo-woo. Um, well, it's a little new agey, right? Yeah, 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 but you are. The way you, you speak, you're so able to dis- distill everything. And if I'm ever like having a bad day, I'll, you, I know you would say the right thing. And you just, because it's all about me. No, but tell me about young JL and when this sort of like in itness that you have, like, what were you like as, as a kiddo, like in school or when you first started thinking you wanted to perform? It's really interesting to me that, that you would say that. Early on, I don't know that I was in it. I know that I was passionate about something. I knew that I had to persevere. I knew that I wanted to be in this right. business. I knew that I wanted to act. 
but I, I didn't feel until maybe I began to get a sense of not being in it and not being present right around the time that I was, I went to, to college early. I went to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And I began to realize that I had these ideas that the business was going to be a particular way and mm-hmm. I was going to be a particular way in it. And when I got out of Carnegie, I realized that it wasn't happening the way that I had pictured it. And I was distraught and I was unhappy. I was having not a meltdown, but I was having a temper tantrum. And I also was having an existential experience. How was I going to be operating in a different way in this business? Or was I going to consistently be unhappy? You know how we have these pictures and these ideas about um, what the way everything's supposed to be. And then when mm-hmm. it isn't, we make these other choices. And one of the mm-hmm. choices that I that I knew that I needed to make was to say, how will I be? How will I be in the world? I needed to shift and transform the way that I was relating to the, to the business and myself in the business. And there was a point at which I was going to get out. I was, I I said, I I cannot bear this. I cannot bear the way I'm being. I feel unhappy. I feel crazy. I feel undone. I'm not being the person I want to be. And And so that that was probably, it was probably around the late seventies. And I, I saw that the way that I was looking at life mm-hmm. and myself in life was really not, I didn't, I didn't want to get to the end of my life and regret that I hadn't really looked at this uh-huh. really well, seriously. Looked good news, at it. Like- <laughs> well, but wait, but wait, I mean, I literally just, I was just shooting this movie in Savannah, Georgia so with tell us about the movie. Yeah. really extraordinary people called the menu. And we shot it in Savannah, Georgia. And the the star of the movie is Ray Fiennes, who's extraordinary, and Anya Taylor Joy, who was on the cover of uh, October in Style, and which um, also featured your kitty. Anyway, yes, that's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. And when I was working there, it was a very unusual dynamic that you usually mm-hmm. don't have on a movie set. Our director Mark Myla said that he wanted everybody there all the time because it's a set right where you're seeing all of these people in this restaurant all in a right. moment yeah and we had to be intensely present and that meant being present for everybody's off camera coverage and right. off camera right. coverage means you're not on but you are there supporting your other actors in, for their, the environment or the scene that's yeah. right right and i began to realize that i wanted to be more present than i was i always meditate, but I went back to being really disciplined about it because I I had one of those experiences where I had this intuitive feeling that I wasn't as present as I, as I would choose to be. So now I've gone back to meditating twice a day and I got back into it a little bit because, well, that's, you know, transcendental meditation, you meditate twice a day. And then there are other spiritual teachers that have you meditate twice a day. It's the moment of stopping to get yourself into the now, into the present. And I got back into it, interestingly enough, prior to going to Savannah to shoot the menu, where I was in Oyster Bay shooting a film for Ryder Doyle with my friend, Zach Quinto, called Demo, and Zach meditates twice a day. And I went, got it. Got to do that. So anyway, that's a long way to answer you about getting present again. You work a lot. You know what I mean? You are consistently. You know, I do. 
work a lot, but there was a period of time where I, I wasn't. I mean, there have been periods where I have not worked a lot. This is um, interesting because obviously, look, culturally, firstly, obviously, you did theater, you did his boss, you know, everybody was what, you know, knew you in that incarnation. And then you did a bunch of, you know, theater again, and you've won all the, all the awards and all that. But then it was funny. I was just reading a, a pro, all of the awards. Where are they? I can't even see them. Um, but, but it was over. You're so cute. You're so cute. There are three Tonys. You have three. Uh, Where are they? Are they in LA? Do they have a No, no, no. They're area? they're in they're in they're here in New York. They're here? Where, where you know, I'm not asking you to get the Tony. I would never presume for you to parade them around. You're so, so you, full of shit. Hold on. <laughs> freaking Tony. Thank you. <laughs> Can you <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna presume. I'm not gonna get off. <laughs> I'm not going to get all weird up in here. Here's Shimmer one Tony. of them. What one is that for? What's that for? Um, this one is the Isabel Stevenson Award. This is for all the advocacy work that I've done for so many years, starting in the early 80s for the LGBTQIA plus community and for HIV and AIDS. And this one you is near and dear. Before. So many. Uh, and but it was, I was reading this profile on you because at the moment you are in impeachment and you are playing conservative feminist. I'm just, I, I'm writing it, Susan Carpenter Macmillan. But I was reading this profile. It was probably VF online or something. And I was like, light has been on a tear <laughs> since well, I don't know. I don't know if you yeah. call it a tear, but uh, I yes, I did that. That was the third thing that I did for Ryan Murphy. So how did you end up, I mean, in the first place, what was your first meeting with him and what was your first time when you were like okay I'm going in with him well it all came from Ryan they asked me to do the American crime story the assassination of Johnny Versace mm -hmm. and it was just a one episode event within right. it was I think it was the third episode and then right. people began responding afterwards and Ryan oddly enough <laughs> God love yeah. him, said, can you come back? We're going to put you in the last episode. And he was the one that really facilitated my getting an Emmy nomination for that. And then I was shooting a show in Atlanta called Queen America with Catherine Zeta-Jones. And he mm -hmm. called me there and he said, I have this idea. I have this show called The Politician. And I have this really interesting character. And she's going to be in a thruple, which is sex with two men. And he said, can you be in on that? I said, I am so in on he this. He said, you mean it's an autobiography? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's really, he's, he's, so, he's so interesting. He's... <laughs> Not interesting. That's a terrible word to use for Ryan. He is, he is, and amazing and extraordinary. Yeah. He's a visionary, and yeah. just like the gentleman Mark Mylot, who is our director on on the menu, and the writers of the of the menu, there there are people that have this visionary commitment and sense of life and what right. can be what they can bring in their storytelling. How do you um, feel when, um, you know, when uh, when you film something, and, and impeachment is an interesting example because it was so delayed and held for like a year yeah, and, and you yeah, know, it was like, yeah. you know, Paulson is in another sort of body that she doesn't have for a year. It was all a whole, you know, literally like 
preserved in amber for a whole lot of lot of time. And so she is also brilliant and extraordinary and amazing uh, in this. All, of <laughs> right? all, it, yeah. all that in a bag of chips. What's it like when after you film something and then, you, and then it starts airing and then you start hearing things? And how does that feel? Because obviously a, a decent amount of time has generally passed. And then when it's like when now you're in front of, front of everybody's, everybody's in frontal lobe right now watching you, how does that feel when it starts to land? Or have you just kind of mentally moved on somewhere else? I don't move on. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that is so valuable to me and one of the things mm. that I treasure so much and one of the reasons for my continuing to work is that mm. people watch and I'm really, really grateful for that. Mm. And I want to know what people are saying and that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to do publicity and I hate publicity. Look, I, you know, red carpets are what they are and you have to get dressed and you have you to smell. get your hair and makeup and you have to get out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You can't bring an attitude. You in this moment now, mm-hmm. you are the voice of getting me to talk about these things right. that gets it out there, that keeps yeah. it alive, that keeps it vibrant, that keeps it continuing. And mm. so for me, I'm really grateful for that. I'm really appreciative of that whole dynamic. You know, all of that stuff about taking pictures and everything. It's like, mm. do that. It it matters to the people who watch you. So I don't, I don't move on from it. It's like, I, you know, we're still, the politician came out and that's still alive for me. I just shot a show, Julia for HBO Max, right? Yes. Up in Boston. And that's going to probably come out early next year. So I don't leave those things behind. I stay present with them. I mean, going back to the idea of being present, because it, 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 those things for me, that matters. The intensity of the work gets done. It's discounting also to the team of people that you have worked with. If you just move on. And you always have a joyfulness in what you've produced, you know what I mean? And and discussing what you've produced, you know, and, uh, and that's not typical either. And is that, is that something that comes with, that you've all, I mean, you know, when you really started rolling, has it always been like that? Or is it something that comes with some maturity or or just the ebbs and flows of, of, of a career when, when now you're, you know, quote unquote, on a tear? I don't know if it's so for everybody. For me, I am, after I had that period of time that I was telling you that I mm. realized that I was not really relating to myself in the reality of the business. And it was more that I, it had to be a certain way. It had to be a picture. It had to be, my picture was two dimensional. It wasn't three dimensional. When you, when you get into the reality of the business, Mm. you have ebbs and flows and ups and downs. Mm. So after that transformational dialogue with myself, basically, I, said, are you going to be joyful about this? Are you going to be excited and happy and grateful about this? Or are you going to still stay miserable? Are you going to be a dick? (laughs) Are you going to be a dick? No. I mean, are you you going to use your your voice, you know, your platform to really use it for something? So Mm -hmm. for me, it was all of the people that I knew that were in the community and the gay community that were dying of AIDS. They were my friends. Was I going to get myself someplace that my career was giving me a platform to be able to speak on something? Right. What was it like when, you know, because obviously in the early days of the AIDS crisis, people were very freaked out. Much was made of when Princess Diana hugged the patient in the hospital and I was like, ah, you know, when you first started, when they were your friends and you first started to advocate, what were you navigating? You would have been navigating a whole lot of fear. 
and fear. Sort of foreignness in, in, in a, yeah. a, a vast amount of the population who didn't understand. So how yeah. did you go about it in the first sense? You make such a good point. There were a few people who were out there on the front lines. Mm-hmm. And Princess Diana, the people's princess, was certainly one of them. And a, a real inspiration. Elizabeth mm-hmm. Taylor, real mm-hmm. inspiration. Mm-hmm. Larry Kramer was yeah. out there in full force talking to the community, writing plays about it, Normal yeah. Heart, as yeah. we know. There was fear, but the overriding experience was loss. Mm-hmm. We were losing an entire generation mm-hmm. of talent. But the top note for me was the injustice of it. Right. And, and the pretending of people that they weren't homophobic. That was the thing that was going on. It was like, how, as another human being, do you relate to a person who is ill, is Mm -hmm. dying, is being cut off from their family, (gasps) where there is no place for anybody to go. People know that they're going to die. And how do you not relate to that Mm -hmm. with a sense of outrage? Yeah. In the middle of the word courage is the word rage, which mm-hmm. I find really kind of uh, poignant and powerful. Mm-hmm. And you could see that the community, that the LGBTQIA plus community was stalwart and present mm-hmm. and out there. And to me, that was inspiring. And this was happening at the time where, mm-hmm. you know, where I was really looking at how was I going to be in the world? And I said, I take inspiration from that community. So that's what we were dealing with. You came up against everything. You came up against the law, the culture, Mm. religion, families. It was a a real, um, there was no place except within the community. You know, a lot of people do the the calculation of, of, okay, if I insert myself in this, what does it mean? What do I gain? What do I lose? There's never been a calculation to you about what you, who you embrace and who you're passionate about. But too, on the, on the sort of lighter part of that, what what does it mean? Like when you, if you, if you're like going to the Tonys or the theater to have that community that just lives for you. Grateful. Just incredibly, incredibly grateful. I remember there was a moment in time when I knew I had to make a career transformation and I did, mm-hmm. um, I took uh, over for the glorious actor Kathleen Chalfont in a play called Wit. Right. Where I shave my head, be naked on stage and, and in this remarkable play by the Pulitzer Prize winning um, uh, um, playwright, um, Margaret Edson. And there was a really dear man who has since passed. His name is Marl Becker and he had a radio show. Marl got a hold of the list of stuff that I had done for the community in support of the community. And he said, I want all of you to know what this woman has done for us. And he said, you all go to that play and you support her. And they came out in droves in every city I went to. The community was, going back to the word present, Mm -hmm. they were completely present and 
in support of what I was doing. And it's really interesting because I've talked about this in a couple of other places. When I, I had remembered that when I was just starting getting my training when I was a little girl, I was about 11 or 12 when I went to this performing arts camp in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And New Hope was a gathering for a lot of the LGBTQ community. And I remembered that there were a lot of teachers that came to this performing arts academy Mm -hmm. in the summer, Mm -hmm. left the city and came to New Hope. Right. And I was really young. Mm -hmm. And I remember that it was the gay men who had come from New York to teach us, you know, jazz and ballet and acting that watched out for me. And I had forgotten that, but I knew that somewhere there was something that was incumbent upon Mm. me to, there's a sort of cell level memory that I had that when I saw that people were dying and suffering Mm. and that there was no response from the federal government. I mean, there were two presidents who never said the word AIDS. Um, Right. And so I just had this very strong feeling and I was compelled to, Mm. to, to speak out. And no, I didn't, I did. It wasn't, I didn't, people said to me after I was doing it, they said, Mm. you know, you're going to hurt your career. And I said, my God, no, not. I, I said, I don't, I don't even. And then, so what? So anyway, it was never, it was never that, but at some level I remembered, I must've remembered that how they had been there for me and that, that continued and it has continued. And so to answer you, yes, gratitude. What performances of yours are you the most proud of? Wit was definitely one Mm -hmm. of them. I hadn't been on stage for 22 years. I was terrified. I was Mm -hmm. absolutely apoplectic. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, when you have to, you know, shave your head and, you know, the hair has always yeah. been, you know, is like we're well, all, it's, you know. it's your armor. Your <laughs> and so that was a really challenging, defining moment for me in terms of my own personal growth mm-hmm. and the fact that I could do it and that they were willing to have me do it. I mean, it was just this incredibly powerful experience. And they didn't want me to do it in New York, which I did for six months, unless I was willing to go on the road with it. And I went on the road with it to Boston and the Kennedy Center (laughs) and Florida and San Francisco. And so I was bald for almost a year. So that I I take great pride in my being terrified, but willing to do it anyway. So that's one of them. This other play that Tommy Kale, he's the director of Hamilton. He's the one that brought me back to Broadway. And he cast me in a play called Lombardi. And I was nominated for a Tony that year mm-hmm. for that part. You were not and playing I, Lombardi at the time, though. <laughs> no, I was not playing Lombardi. Thank you for thank you for your sense of humor. I love you so much. I don't know what to do with you. If I were here, if I were there, I would squeeze you. <laughs> and then the other play that I really loved that and was uh, written by the brilliant, amazing, and extraordinary John Robin Bates. Amazing. And that cast was remarkable to work with Stacey Keach and Stockard Channing. And it was just, a, you know, Tommy Keech. Sadowski. I mean, just these really stalwarts of the, of, of yeah. stalwart of the artists theater. of the, the theater, theater and of film and theater. television. How do you well. say it? The theater? The theater? I don't say it like that. I say the theater. I know. But you, if, but you if I'm Australian, mm-hmm. I'm going to say... How am I going to say it? Theatre. Yeah. Or if I'm British, I'm going to say theatre. 
<gasps> However, for me, we say theater. And then oh there's that God. little little bit of Jersey in there from the Jersey girl. Well, <laughs> excuse me, how how much how does a little bit of Jersey get you through life? How, come on, that's a bonus. Marie Lombardi was from Jersey. So we had to go back and really look at the Jersey accent that I had spent years at Carnegie Mellon University being taught by Edith Skinner, getting rid of the Jersey accent. I still say nine, 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 like eight, nine, nine, ten. Nine. <laughs> but hang anyway. on, do it. Eight, nine, oh. ten. Eight, nine. Eight, nine. Eight, nine. But there are also film things that have mattered to me and right. they've been with with Ryan Murphy and the recent ones that I've been doing, like the Julia and I just shot something else for stars with Courtney Cox. Um, oh, that also, that I'm oh, in Shining Veil. Vale. Yeah. That so looks- there are things that I've done and there are many of them. And it's not just the piece of material. It's the people. Right. How good are you or bad are you at being idle? Oh, such a good question. I'm not good. <laughs> at it <laughs> however <laughs> how and either and either are you missy <laughs> uh, right but Thank anyway you. that's yeah. part of the coming present i realize right. that i'm not so then how do you behave around that mm. well sometimes i'm really great about it and sometimes mm. i'm i'm dreadful and i also have come to realize that if i'm not present mm. in every moment yeah i'm going to miss my life so i have to right i have to keep reminding myself to stay present mm-hmm. and if i'm uncomfortable and i don't like that i'm not working I watch myself and I watch this programmed mind that says in order to be someone to be, to be doing something Mm -hmm. is what makes me who I am. Right. And that is a realization for me that is not, it is not true that the doing makes me who I am. It is the presence, the being, the relating to another aspect of myself that is who I am. If I'm elsewhere, I'm not present in my work. Right, right, right. Another thing about you, Light, is I think a vast amount, I love just like, you know, bad psychoanalysis, but I think a lot of your success comes from your belief in others and your investment in others. The fact that you are completely immersed in the other people and take time to understand who they are. And that's, especially in your field, pretty rare because everybody could just be like, here I am, here's my performance, thank you, applause, goodbye. I am like that. I know I can be like that. That, And thank you for saying that. And what I began to realize in that whole thing I was talking about, about getting Mm -hmm. out of the business and the transformation, if I wasn't going to be, we're all one humanity. We're all one humanity. If I'm focusing only on myself, that's not of interest to me. Terribly dull. Who yeah. someone else it's terribly dull. Who someone else is is yeah. of real interest to me. One of the things I realized was you know, you we go into this business, it's like, oh, this is gonna be, oh my god, I'm gonna get approval. This is gonna be about me, and isn't this fun? And this is so fabulous, and I'm yeah, gonna get yeah, a lot yeah. of attention and a lot, and I'm gonna be, you know, you know, a lot of people wanna be a star, they don't yeah. wanna be yeah. an 
a, a, a worker, be right. an artist, whatever. They want to be a celebrity. And right. believe me, there are a lot of perks that come with that. Yeah. And then you begin to realize that this business isn't about you at all. It isn't about you. You think it's about you. It's not about right. you. Right. And if you try to make it about you, you will be very, very unhappy. If you make it about other people, all of a sudden there's this community, collegiality, camaraderie that comes together. And there's an energy that when that piece of work comes across either the footlights or in the film, all of a sudden something else begins to happen. And it's, it's mystical and it's magical. And it's also very, very real and much more valuable than anything that you could ever make about yourself. This could Don't you think? Bit, yeah, this could be, that could be a bit long for a pillow, but I might embroider it on one. If you can embroider it, I will buy it Why? from you. We will embroider it. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. I'm speaking with the luminous Judith Light, who's honestly always a 100-watt bulb. All right, we do something. You ready? You're poised to strike. It's called 10 Firsts. It's oh. super, so intense. It's going to be so hard. Uh, you're going to be fine. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Um, first drink you order. Water. <laughs> you have to have okay. water. Otherwise, if you're going to have you're alcohol dead. after that, you, you better be hydrated, right? Okay, so if you're after, after <laughs> you're like, <hello> water. <laughs> Is that so boring? What, what, why are no, you laughing? It's very straightforward. Like, it was so straightforward. Like for human life to exist. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's that you're going to order alcohol okay. after that. Then what would you have? What would you have after water, as well? Probably a vodka. That's it. Really cold, icy mm. vodka. My friend Scott Campbell orders these martinis that are just there's not even a whisper of vermouth over it, and it's icy, icy cold. And he lets me always take the first sip when we're together. That's just like so incredibly dreamy. And then you take your bow and you go, thank you. And then you say, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. And then you get a Tony Award. Okay. You know what else I love is a Negroni and great wine and any color. I'm I'm good with any color. (laughs) I don't see color. Don't, you don't. So it's it's white or or red or rose, honey. You can, but you can't mix white and red to make rose. Just so oh, you know, okay. Maybe no, in my can't. college years. Maybe in my college years. Okay. First yeah. thing. First thing you do when you wake up. Stay in bed. I've studied Reiki. I don't know. We haven't talked about that. And there's a a, a Reiki. It's not not really a prayer, but it's a saying. And right. I say that, and I lie in bed, and I 
become present with not just my surroundings, but my inner surroundings. And I check and see where, where I am for the day. And then I get ready to meditate. So by, by checking in to uh, see where you are for the day, do you literally go, where am I? No, I go, <laughs> no, I go, no, it's really, it's more, are my thoughts wandering? Am I feeling off balance, not off balance, right. but am I thinking about things past and future oh, that are not, that are not present? Like, and I, and I can't now? always do it. And I do my best to come present and, and, you know, that's not always an easy task for me. No, it is not an easy task for most of humanity. Okay. I know. First, first person you call. Nobody. <laughs> I don't, I don't, call, I mean, I don't like to talk on the phone. I don't like to talk on the phone. I mean, if I have to call somebody, I mean, usually it's, you know, it's mm. my husband, you yeah. know, we'll FaceTime, but I don't, I don't tend to call anybody. You are a I'm record. I'm calling you this morning. You're my I'm first honored. Call. I'm honored. You are a record-breakingly fast text returner, however. You're really you, good at that. Bet. I don't want to keep anybody waiting. If I'm if I if I if I'm on a set and I can't yeah. get back to somebody, yeah. I will say you're not going to hear from me. This is yeah. this yeah. is what's going on, and then I will get back as soon as I can. I really respect mm -hmm. uh, and and honor other people's time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that they need an answer quickly, and as quickly as I can get the answer to them, I will tell them. And if I can't, I tell them that. I'm going to call you Judith. Thumbs of fire light. Okay. First joke you remember? Oh, don't ask me that. I saw the Instagram one that Sarah Paulson, Paulson did, and I laughed my ass off. First of all, she's probably the funniest person I know. Yeah, she's pretty funny. She is mm -hmm. so funny. I can't, I really can't remember. I really don't. And I knew that we were going to talk about this, and I went, I don't have a joke for her. Okay. First, fashion splurge. First thing you bought when you were like, ooh, I got it. It wasn't a splurge. And it, God, it makes me emotional. Oh. My, my mother was a woman's wear buyer. Oh. In this lovely little store in, when I was growing up, called mm -hmm. the Ship Shop. It was in Jersey. It wasn't really high end. My mother had, she was remarkable and brilliant and amazing. And she had this very ribald sense of humor, which I adored. Right. And she never let me buy my own clothes. Oh, for better or for worse. <laughs> and thank you very much because her taste was somewhat strange sometimes, but other times it was just amazing. So I never bought my own clothes until I was about 26 or 27 years old. Oh my years. God. Yeah. I still have the first blouse that I bought. So what was that? It was in a little shop in New York next mm -hmm. to the apartment that I was living in on East 51st Street. And it's just God awful and dreadful. And I've kept it. It had the strangest colors in it. And it had this big pussycat bow. Ooh, like and it that. was just, well. Well, when, when, when diligently applied. When diligently applied and not politically applied, which is another <laughs> story. But anyway, it was the first time I took ownership right. of myself. And uh, it was just, it still fills me with emotion. It was very hard for my mother because we had a huge argument about it because I, I said, you, oh. you, you cannot, you've got, you've got to let me go. You've got to let me do this. Oh, got to God. let me go.
And she didn't stop. I mean, she still bought me stuff. But but it was it was a terrible blouse. And of course, she thought it was terrible and it was she was, she was critical it. of it. But for me, and I, it was really it was a, a difficult transition in in our relating that when she the last five months of her life, when she was in the process of dying, we healed our relationship and we talked a lot about that her not letting me go. It's a really, it's a, it's a much more lengthy dialogue with you and a much more lengthy place to go, but it might be a really interesting piece for the magazine to talk about women and their mothers and their fashion and their stories about their, their clothing. And it could be called, it could be called what my mother did to me. (laughs) you know, or, you know, how my mother dressed me. I remember (laughs) when I was really little and she used to change my clothes constantly during the day. And I remember being little and saying to her, no more, mommy, no more. So, you know, it's like, there is a healthy, generous part of it. And there's also a very complicated, complex part of it. Controlling. Yes. Now, because you could, you are one of the few women who could convincingly wear two Tony Awards as earrings and you have the most freaking fantastic style on the carpet that is red or off it. How do you start to develop that? That comes with the thing about being present and being grateful. And if you're going to get on the carpet, if you're going to spend all that time working with a wonderful stylist and a and your wonderful hair and makeup people, mm. you get mm. out there and you Do give it. it. There's it nothing. Like you stole it. Right. I've said this many times. There's nothing to get in life. There's only what you give. You're going to yeah. get out there and give, or you're going to, or you're going to, you're going to make it fun for everybody. You're going to make it joyful for everybody yeah. and yourself, or you're going to yeah. be, a, 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 you know, a misery dog. You know, it's like, <laughs> I hate this. I don't want to be here. It's <laughs> misery like, dog. And we uh, also remember, I used to be really heavy. And right. so when I can fit in into things that I find that are beautiful, and for many, many years, when I started buying my own clothes after this, I was like, you know, I was buying gold lame. And mm, yeah, I, right. my You're manager, right. who has since passed her pamster, said to me, no more gold lame. <laughs> we, are, we are not doing gold lame anymore. I don't know. I'm like a magpie. It was like sparkly, but I had to be trained <laughs> and I had to listen. And Jack Yaton, who was my mm-hmm. stylist for many, many years, we started working together when I was uh, nominated for the first Tony. And yes. he looked at me and he said, oh my God, it's Judy from Jersey. He said, <laughs> you can't wear things like that. And he started to educate me. And it wasn't just the name brands of people like that we were wearing, but also I was trained by him. So I started wearing Darling Michael Carl at Hermes and Mm -hmm. and I've worn Christian Siriano and Zach Posen and, you know, a lot of people who are and Michael Kors, people who are very generous to me. But I started looking at what is the subtlety Right. of what you're trying to project. Why, right. why do you have to get out there and wear gold lame that, you know, says, look at me. Everything. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so there, there has been a real process of training and appreciation right. for the people who have trained me. Yeah. Okay. First time you owned your shit. As in first time you were like, hey, buster. Uh, I think uh, some of it was with my mother when I said, you can't do this anymore. I can't have this. Uh, Also, I think it was when I was working with the director when I was first in repertory theater Mm -hmm. and he had been very cruel to me. 
And I said, that's not okay. That's not going to fly with me. When I started in the business and, you know, women in our business, you, you had less of a voice. And my parents were very good about making sure that I did have a voice. And I, you know, when you have a parent who demonstrates that, like my mother Mm -hmm. really had a mouth on her, my mother, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she was like, and you know, you, you, if you're not gonna stand for yourself, if you're not gonna speak for yourself, nobody's gonna speak for you. Nobody's gonna speak for you. It's gonna govern your whole life. That's exactly right. First thing you eat or do if you're really stressed. So funny. I, you know, I've had this whole thing about, right. I know I've had this whole thing about food for, for so long in my, in my life. That was another thing that I, um, I had to separate from myself with my mother too. I tend to, before it was, I would answer you in the early days in the seventies, when I was going through this whole sort of transformation, it Mm. was, it was, it was anything. I mean, you just get, give give me a, give me a box of cookies, give me a cake. Give me, I mean, I ate it all. I mean, yeah. it wasn't just like one cookie wasn't in one bite of cake. So then it was everything. Now it's like I stay as conscious as I can. And I know that, you know, that I am having an emotional reaction to something. Yeah. So I'll say, okay, give me some gluten-free crackers. You know, I'm primarily vegetarian, moving toward right. vegan. And, and you know, which, what's my... America Ferreira was the one who, who got me off gluten. Oh. Because we were having dinner one time and she said to me, she said, you know, I was eating the entire basket of bread in front of me. She said, have you ever had a gluten sensitivity test? And I said, I hadn't. And I went and had one. I'm highly gluten sensitive. So I'll have some gluten free crackers or something or fruit. And then I just look at myself and I say, are you eating because you're hungry or are you eating from your emotion? Are you upset about something? So sit down and come present and look at what you're doing. First thing you turn on TV. CNN, MSNBC, and yeah. HGTV. It d- depends on the mood that I'm in. After watching too much CNN and MSNBC, you go right to HGTV, right? Let's, what are they doing with that woodwork? Let's yeah. see how they're going to redo that house. Okay. I, mean, I really need to know. International, what are they going to do? You know, are do they, you know what I mean? It's are like, these cushions going to be peach or blue? Who's to say I I'm know, in suspense? and maybe I, exactly. <laughs> okay. okay, one last one. First date. The first date you ever went on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't. What, oh, my God. I think I went to the movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what movie it was. And my father drove us, I believe, with, I think, Robert Sulkin in Trenton, New Jersey. Now, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but, well, I'm not going to dispute it. And that was that. That's the other thing. My father was always very present for me. Right. My father was one of the most present human beings and devoted and really dedicated. And he was my example of real discipline. Right. Uh, you know, when you have to get up at three o'clock in the morning to go to a set yeah. and you go, oh my God, I can't do this. I think of my father getting up at three o'clock in the morning after having driven me to rehearsals for a community theater play and sleeping in the car and getting up and going to work at two or three o'clock in the morning. What was your dad's name again? Sydney. Sydney. Um, Sydney Light. Sydney Light. Sydney Light. Light is my real name. Light is no, my real name. Sydney Light. You know what I would call you? What? D Light. A. Oh. Judith Light. I just love you. The best. 
You are always giving um, for for all the work you do, for how much you put into it, how much of yourself you inject into everything you do and how much you see in others. I am honoured and thankful that we met, that I get to see your work, that I get to consider you a friend, that you showed up for this silly old podcast. And um, thank you so much. Thank you. It's not a silly old podcast. (laughs) It's quite extraordinary, remarkable and brilliant and amazing to get to be with you. And I'm so, so grateful that you're my friend. Thanks for joining me and Judith Light. Come back next time and hear my conversation with the, it's pretty much kind of like a the, Priyanka Chopra Jonas. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you could please rate us and leave us a review and make me feel loved, that'd be great. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Sam Walker, Danielle Roth, Anne Kane, and Andy Bosnack. And thanks for Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrand99. 